Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And Perry Gilpin is my guest this week. She, of course, played Roz on Frasier. And yes, we're going to talk about the possible Frasier reboot, as well as talking a lot about her career and some interesting things about her that I'm sure you don't know. This is part one of two. We sat down and we started talking, and after we got through her career, then we just started riffing. And part two will be that, when we start just kind of freeform talking about the process of making Frasier and television and acting in general. So that's next week. But this week, the career of Perry Gilpin here on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, so the first question I have to ask you is the first question that everybody wants to know about <laughs> Frasier. With all the talk in the air about a possible reboot, your thoughts on that? And has anyone contacted you about that at all? It's come up a few times over the years, uh, and, and, and uh, from all kinds of places. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. I swear to God. <laughs> and how many times a day <laughs> do people ask you now? At least a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I thought I would just get it out of the way. First question. But, but what a great thing that people are interested in it and people want to know and people are wondering what's going on. I'm wondering what's going on. But And my agents and manager are really wondering what's going on. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think it's just in the works. But I think there's a lot of different... Uh, there's a lot of chiefs. There's a lot of people involved with this. Right. What people forget is it was a spinoff of Cheers. I mean, younger people that have found it on Netflix. And then um, we all know, of course, it was a spinoff of Cheers. But that means that there are so many people from, you know, from Cheers that have to okay everything. Right. And then also our studio changed hands. So we shot for Paramount, shot at Paramount for NBC. And then right when we finished, Viacom bought Paramount and CBS. So now we're actually owned by CBS or Viacom. So there's just a lot of, you know, those kind of things going on. Right. Well, a great experience, obviously. It was a great experience for me working on the show and and writing it. So uh, for you, because I was thinking about this the night the pilot aired, because, you know, you're a working actress and you're in this show and in that show and in this play and that play. And, like, all of a sudden, within a half an hour, your life changes when that show premieres. And it was a hit from day one. How different was your life? And did it surprise you? Well, 
the I, my personal experience was that I had done two other series at Paramount, <laughs> just a few feet away, for Jimmy Burroughs and Les and Glenn Charles and and Fran, Fran, um, what was Fran's last? Connor, Fran O'Connor. Uh-huh. Uh, from, uh, f- it was called Triangle Productions. And both of those pilots were picked up. Both of those were not even pilots. They were picked up for 13 going in. So I kind of felt like I had, you know, I, my life changed so much just being able to, like, like park on the on a lot like paramount <laughs> and go to a stage and work and have lines <laughs> and know people and i was so excited so the two years preceding that and then neither of those even fulfilled all 13 episodes the first one i think they aired five the second one they never aired any of it, wow. it, it ken Eston was ran the second one mm-hmm. and um and they and so it those had not gone well and so Frasier was actually a pilot. Right. Just a pilot. And then it got a pickup for the first, you know, the 13 or whatever. The first, And then it actually got a back nine. Like, we went through all those steps. And the steps to get Frasier, for me, were... I can't, don't even know how many meetings I went on. I met and met and met. I'm sure I went in six times for the studio, Paramount. <laughs> and then once I got past the studio, I went to network. But there were many, many auditions for it. So... By the time we did it, it was different from my last experiences. I just, we, we didn't see, you know, we got a standing ovation the night we shot the pilot. I remember. We, um, I thought it was for me, but okay. Well, I thought yeah. it was for me, yeah. but <laughs> I know, I know it's for you. But, the, but it was so, but it, you like, you just don't, I don't think anybody took it for granted. And I had shot the fourth of the last episode of Cheers, like right before we. That's that right. Pilot. I remember that the episode uh, involving the election. I Woody think. gets an yeah. election. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> so, also remember you from Wings. And I was on yes. Wings. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yeah. And so we, the um, when when I was shooting those that la- fourth to last episode of Cheers, Jimmy had pieces of like five different episodes going at the same time. He was pre-shooting stuff for the finale. He was picking up stuff from the week before. He was doing a couple of things for the next week. And he had it was like a three-ring circus on that set. I just went up to the top of the stands and just watched it for a minute because I, I thought I'll never see anything like this again. You know, it was <laughs> so cool. And um, and Kirsty took me to lunch because I said there's a really... She had her baby on the set, and I said there's a really cute... Uh, baby clothes shop over by this little tea room and she goes do you want to go to lunch and I literally like looked behind me to see who she was talking to and she was like you do you want to go to lunch me yes so we go but then she starts shopping and I say to her assistant we'll probably have to order lunch and just take it in the car right because and he goes oh no we'll go to lunch and I was like I I can't be late they won't fire her right and, and, and so I think they literally dropped me off at the gate and I ran for the you know because she had a baby and stuff to, but it was like it all it was very exciting time and I was sort of at home on the lot but I didn't expect to stay too long you know what I mean right you know that feeling sure so so then when, my whole life it, yeah mine too <laughs> so I was just happy to be there so then it just kind of kept growing Okay, so you're on Cheers. Uh, you didn't get fired, and by the way, you were very good in that in that episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you get this pilot, and it goes on the air. Like I said, it was a hit from day one. But when did you first realize 
that, oh my God, I'm on something special here. I mean, were you in a market and all of a sudden people were recognizing you or were you in a restaurant? It's like there had to be like some aha moment where you realized, oh my God, this thing is a rocket. I think the aha moment came for me when I was pulling out of my agent's building on Sunset like right around Sunset and Willoughby, uh-huh. and I was coming, you know, out of the garage and trying to make a right on Sunset to go. <laughs> I know you're like Perry <laughs> East, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, and this woman was on the sidewalk, so I stopped, you know, because I didn't want to run her over. So I stopped to let her go, and right. she just walked by, and she went Roz like that, and I and I was I went hi, <laughs> wow, you know, that was it. That was the moment. Yeah, I mean, because now it's really tough because you're a celebrity. So if you hit somebody. They can easily identify you. Oh, yeah. Okay, so oh, now yeah. you really got to be careful. You do have to be careful. <laughs> you can get into all sorts of trouble. That was such a wonderful cast. Working with David Hyde Pierce, I, I remember you once told a story about doing a scene with him where you were supposed to read his wedding proposal. That's what it was. I just told the story, yes, he, to Daphne, right? Yeah, to Daphne. Yes, yeah. and he... He handed me, uh, um, we were in the coffee shop, and, you know, all all week we'd rehearsed it, but it was a pretty simple scene, so, you know, we just sort of, sort of ran through it, because we, you know, as the show went on, and that was certainly late, you didn't want to uh, peak too soon, you know, you didn't want to peak during rehearsal, you wanted right. it to be, to be ready. stale by the time you actually did the show, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, we hadn't really concentrated a lot on it, and, and so even when we shot it, I feel like they had just sort of like a little auxiliary set in front, you know, for the, uh, just us at the table. Uh-huh. It wasn't even the full. Yeah, no, there were there were two cafe nervosa sets. Yes, yes, yes. Which I I talked about on uh, I did a podcast episode where I did a commentary track on uh, the Fraser that I directed Roz and Snaz, and I talked about that how they were you know two uh, cafe nervosas. But anyway, so you're in this. This was actually even a third. If you're oh yeah, that they just sort of created just just to get the essence because what would happen is if that second. Do you want to talk about this or no? That second set was back behind the audience. Right. So it wasn't any, you wouldn't want to play a, a meaningful scene there. Right, because you know? people couldn't see it. Right, yeah. you could see it by, they could see it through videotape, but you wouldn't but, get the theatrical. Yeah, and that's not why they came to Paramount. Right, right. So we did the scene, but David handed me this letter to read, but it wasn't to read out loud, it was to read silently. And when I started reading it, I realized he'd actually writ- written it. Wow. And um, and it was very beautiful. And, you know, he wrote it in the exact amount of time it would take me to read it really, you know, for, uh-huh. for, for, for the show so that I wasn't, like, taking 15 minutes to read this <laughs> thing. And, um, and it was, you know, it's just so beautiful. And it, that's the kind of depth that I feel like I got to work with from all four of them all the time and anyone who came on and all the people that came with us all the time. And and you guys, I just felt like there was that kind of detail all the time. You and Jane were very close. You have a production company together, right? We did. We don't anymore, but we did for a long uh-huh. time. And and John Mahoney, oh my God, what a loss. What a, what a wonderful s- yeah. man and what a wonderful presence he yeah. was. I still don't uh, completely accept that he's not... Here anymore. It's hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. 
He was the grandfather. Well, I don't want to say that he wasn't that much older than us. He was too young to actually be Kelsey's dad. But he um, had this, he was, he didn't mind taking on that uh, role as kind of the, you know, dad of all of us. And he was the one, I think, that had the film and theater cachet. He had a Tony, had a really big, uh, you know, movie career. And so I think we all looked to him uh, just naturally. And he was the one that sort of kept everybody's head on straight. Like, he would not allow, he wouldn't let you get egotistical without calling you on it, usually in a very funny way. But you just never got away with much. And we all really wanted that. Everybody wanted to stay down to earth and um, and keep it, because we. I think we all intrinsically felt that that's what was going to keep the quality of the show, is if we could just be humble in that way and bring it and do our best and not and, and keep out of our own way egotistically. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So let me put you on the spot. The scripts, of course, were always brilliant, uh, but <laughs> did you ever have a script where you read it and you just went, oh, uh, Roz would never do that. Did you ever have to uh, just go up and say, um, guys, um, what happened here? <laughs> Well, you know that, as you well know, it's one of the only sets I've ever been on. That what it's the only set I've ever been on that, if it involves any of you guys, we do this. There's the powwow. There's the great. You can go up and have the conversation. Sure. But if it, if you guys are not involved, and I mean, there's like there's a lot of you that right. you know, but you know who I mean. Mm-hmm. Then there that doesn't really exist. So. If you go and try to talk to somebody, it's taken as if you are mandating something or trying to change something or unhappy and and that it's it's not welcome. But if you but with you guys, it was always sort of like a collaborative um where cuz you you guys would always say, "Really? I thought I got that right." Or, you know, I was wondering about that too or, you know, watch that spot because that we just didn't get to that yet. We know there's a problem or Let's talk about this because here's where we see it. There was always a conversation and um, never... The, there was one episode that was strange because it was a date for Roz. I was over watching a movie with Di- Niles and Daphne and the date was supposed to come there. And then he came there and he met me and he didn't like me and he pretended that he had an emergency and he left while I was in the bathroom. Okay. And then I vaguely remember that. I, I can't remember the name. And, <laughs> and I remember that they were supposed to, I was like, well, okay, I'll go. And they're like, okay, sorry, Roz, that was awful. Bye. And they like, let me, they, they kind of just said, well, that's not, we're not going to do that. So you can go now, you know? And we were all, I didn't say anything, but David and Jane were like, what monsters we are. If anything, we'd make you stay <laughs> with us, you know? And we could not convince we couldn't convince anybody. Well, we couldn't convince that. But but it just it was because it would have been a rewrite that that's not the direction they wanted the script to go in. They didn't want it. So we I think it got fixed in a way, like with a really simple fix. But um, because it it was a total C story anyway, you know. Uh huh. But that's kind of the only one where we were all like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, and believe me, there are times as a writer. When I'll go down to a run through and I'll watch the run through and and I'll just like like oh we're so sorry 
Well, We're so sorry. That's what was so this great is, about this. This is terrible. You'll get something completely different tomorrow. Oh my God. Thank you for showing it to us. And all we would ask, and you guys were so great about this, we always would say, just show it to us. Okay? Let us see it. Because even if we know there's problems, by seeing it, sometimes we can identify what those problems are. Or other times we can see that, well, you know, the middle part works. Yeah. Or there's a couple of good jokes worth keeping. It's just the end we go off the rails. But you guys were always so good about really letting us see everything. And it made our jobs so much easier. Well, I think that made our jobs easier, too. Because, I mean, if you judge something only on the page... First of all, sometimes the stuff that makes everybody die laughing in the in the room uh-huh. that you that every we're all sure oh this is golden. You get on the stage and you can't and 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 a uh, and I remember asking David once. This was so funny at the table. What's how he goes? It's getting it on its feet. It's the it's getting it off the page and on the stage, and that can be tricky, especially when you know everyone's laughed so hard at just saying it, right? Right. So then and the same goes the other way. So you guys were always like that going, oh, I hope, you know, we're so sorry for what this is. And then we all felt like, oh, we're so sorry that we aren't giving, aren't able to bring this to life the way we want to. And everyone was just so sorry. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was it, a sorry show. It was just sorry, yeah. but no one was blaming anybody or saying, oh, you know, those joke killers or, you know, that, that, those, that, those right. writers. Everyone was always like, it's me, it's me. Can I, what can I do to make it better? And that's, I think, a huge part of the secret sauce, seriously. Well, and, and this is to me the ultimate compliment for you guys. You guys were so good that if something didn't work, we knew it was us, you know, that, you you know, we didn't go back to the room and go, well, it didn't get a laugh, but did she say it right? Was the timing wrong? Uh, did we just not hear it? Did he mumble the words? That type of thing. If you guys didn't make it work, you know, we just draw a line through it and we get to the room and there's not 20 minutes of discussion. It's like, okay, we need a new line for Perry here, you know? That's so yeah. nice. Yeah. I had, I was not, I, you know, I didn't know that. Thank you. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I want to move off to a, a, a little different subject. The first season of Frasier, this was like maybe the third or fourth week, and after a run through and you were you know, in your control room there. And I said to you, oh, you really look comfortable behind that radio console. And you said, well, my dad was in radio. My dad was a disc jockey. And I come from a radio background. And I said, really, who? And he said, well, I'm sure you don't know. It was like a long time ago. And I'm like, try me. (laughs) (laughs) And you said your dad was Jim O'Brien. And I... I knew Jim O'Brien, mm-hmm. you know. Right, uh, I know. I he, he spent a year out here as the program director of KHJ, and I was a student at UCLA, and I wanted to do a big audio report on KHJ, and I called, and uh, he invited me to come down and interview him, and I spent the day with him, and then we sort of became friends and, and all, and, uh, and it was great because he... He went on the air one time. He had been a disc jockey, 
and he was a very good disc jockey. And he went on the air one day at KHJ, and so I ran a tape. And I said, I have a tape, which I was able to give you, you know, to yeah. be able to, to hear your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he then went on to Philadelphia, and he became a, a newscaster and a weather guy on local Channel 6 there, and sadly passed away in a uh, skydiving accident. But uh, I'm sure people in Philadelphia listening to this are going to be going, oh, my God, I loved him. I know. Yeah. I get that. I, I Somebody comes up to me. You some, Sometimes it's, it'll happen in clusters, but, you know, all the time people come up and talk to me about Jim. I found on Sound the checks. Internet a, uh, an air check of Jim. It's a short one. It's like only a minute and a half, but when he was on WOR FM in New York, in like 1968, and so let's listen to Perry's dad, Jim O'Brien. 6.30 in the city, this is Jim O'Brien. Hey, that brings back some grand memories of 63 high. I get your calls from Patterson, New Jersey, over there in the Leslie Gore fan club. Oh, what a giant it's going to be. The dazzling doors and hello, child. I love you, just right off like that. I dig your fuzzy tones. Uh, doors hit bound at ORFM with Hello, I Love You in Stereo. 98.7 Stereo. Well, listen, man, when I want you to stay, <laughs> I want you to stay. From 1964, a number one hit by the Four Seasons. FM. 98.7. Get set to take you on a trip in the ORFM time machine with your chance to win cash tomorrow. Second hit after hit upon you from 98.7 to New York. Stone fans, here are your men. Fighting in the street. With Jim O'Brien and another one of those giants from 66. Jackie Wilson sings in stereo. The song is... That's Jim O'Brien. So you grew up in Dallas. Interesting name, Perry. The Mm -hmm. only Perry that I could think of growing up, here's what I associate it with. There was a, a Disney movie when I was a kid about Perry the Flying Squirrel. Yes, that's what I, who I was named after. You were named after that, Perry? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And it doesn't make any sense. It, all I know is, and they're all gone, so I can't ask anybody this. But, right. you know, as of now at this age, you can go, okay, really I want to know. You know, <laughs> of the, he, I weighed 10 pounds at birth. Wow. My mom was teeny tiny girl in college. Wow. She, she was, my dad, they were both at Baylor. He was uh-huh. in seminary and he was a football player and... And he really was getting more and more and more into radio. And so when I was born, they expected a boy because I was so big. Uh-huh. You know, and so what is that great Mark Twain? The, the things that get you into trouble are the things you are sure of, you know. Right. So I was born and they were like, oh, God, what do we do with this? I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> there are several quotes in my baby book that I'm not good. It's too sad. But um, so they're, they're, like, they're like, well, we can't name her Petra, which is like a Slavic form of Peter because my father's mother was from Yugoslavia. Okay. So they 
came up with Perry, the obvious solution. It's great, actually. <laughs> it's you it's know, extra, it's unique yeah. and it's interesting. It and, is, but it does. I don't know where she got it. It uh-huh. did come from that movie. She tried to name my sister Bambi, and he said no, <laughs> no. <laughs> the Disney Mulan name stopped here. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Pocahontas. That would have been my you know sixth sister. <laughs> But uh, but so it, so that's Lady. where it came from, and it's so because her name was Sandra, my sister's name is Patty, Mark and April. It, nobody has that kind of you know, which is fine. It's just I don't know where it came from, but and it took a long time to get used to it, but I really like <laughs> it now. Okay, how'd you get from Dallas to Los Angeles? Um, I went to school in London. Well, I went to UT. I went to University of Texas in Austin. I got kicked out of there, <laughs> and I wanted to go. I, I went. Why'd you get kicked out? I don't know. Well, there's. I don't think they liked me. <laughs> <laughs> so I. I mean, really, because also I had gotten cast by Lynn Stallmaster in a movie of the week because he came through Dallas and I went in and read and he cast me. I went from Austin. You know, I went home for the week. week I went home and right. So I guess there was sort of a like a little known rule in our drama department that you couldn't take outside work that you couldn't go to work while you're studying. But I didn't really realize that, and I didn't come from that kind of family. I came from a family where you work. Oh, man, you take the gig and, and go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> So that might have had something to do with it. Also, I kind of grew up in, the, in, in with my mom doing commercials and things like that, and I always took acting lessons at the Dallas Theater Center and we always did plays there. So, But like, I didn't know things like what a monologue was. You know what I mean? So I right. did. I I kind of knew the working world, but I didn't know the academic world of it. And maybe I was a little bit too far down the road in the actual in the real world to be there and not and not. I should have made some concessions. I just didn't know. Uh-huh. You know, I was, so. But I worked hard and I kept going to my professors and I did a million crews and I built sets and I hung lights and I did I did all my requirements and so when I went when I got kicked out. My mom was just appalled, and she went with me to this meeting. And I will—I loved her for it because she, I, I, she, she advocated for me because she was a school teacher, and she was like, you know, you guys have, you know, you only you had a bunch, you, you made it really easy for yourselves your last two years, didn't you? Now you've got twenty-five students from two hundred and fifty, you know, and that's not right. And and then and I'm like, mom, you know, I can't believe she was Harper saying Valley all this. Harper Valley PTA, she here. was Harper yeah. Valley PTA, and and then but I loved her for it because it gave me a lot of it, it was a great thing for me to see because that was not the way my mom was. It was uh-huh. out of character for her. So. um you know, they asked me if I wanted to come back in the room. They're like, maybe we made a mistake. Do you want to come back? And I was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Good for you. And then I called this woman at SMU in Dallas, the head of the drama department, and I said, I, I uh, want to go and audition for the Shakespeare program in London in New York next week. Will you work with me? And she was like, Perry, you know, acting is a really hard uh, road, you know, and I went, I just got kicked out of UT, and she goes, I'll meet you at 10 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So we worked on, I went to New York, the guy goes, you're in, you're going, and that's great. So I went to London and studied, but also I just saw the best theater, and I just steeped myself in that life for eight months, and then I came home, didn't know whether to go to L.A. or New York, and I stayed in Dallas and worked with this woman who had been a booker at our my mom's agency, where, and she'd put my brother and sister in commercials. She was like a kid okay. booking agent, and she'd become a makeup artist, so I assisted her. Her name's Gigi Coker, so I did makeup for a little while, and Paul Bartell, 
shot a movie in Dallas. Paul Bartel did um, Eating Raul Raul and involved in Death Race 2000. Um, A really funny, quirky, great filmmaker. Yeah. And and so he came and did Not for Publication with Nancy Allen and David Naughton. And I did makeup on that. I was like assistant makeup. So I'd go meet David Naughton in his room. And he had just, his makeup artist had just won an Oscar for American Werewolf in London, right? Uh-huh. And I come in with my little fishing box <laughs> and my st- stipple or whatever, you know, and he's like, what turnip truck did you just fall off of? And I went, <laughs> one that just went by. Sorry, yeah. you're just going to have to. So, but we, I, my, I had the best time and Larry Luckinbill was in it and I just kept bugging him. Like, I, I knew I was on the wrong side of the camera, but I found out by, by being on the crew, but I also learned what it was like to be on a crew. So I'm like, I need to be an actress. And so they needed an actress in a film, in and in they needed a makeup artist. So they're like, Perry, just come in and be the makeup artist. <laughs> so that experience helped me because it made me see what it was like to be on a crew, but also that I needed to be an actress. I needed to just, like, get out of my comfort zone and... So I went to... Just commit to it. Just commit to yeah. it and know that's what, what mm-hmm. was right for me. So I went to Williamstown Theater Festival, was an apprentice, met Blythe Danner, was her dresser, and I met that whole family. They were incredible to me and a lot of other people at Williamstown. And I wound up going back there five summers, but she and Nico's called a couple of schools in New York and tried to get me in because they they were great to me. But they couldn't, so what I did was I sort of put together my own curriculum in New York, and I would go to Nikos' classes, I would go to dance, I went to voice, I studied with this guy from Juilliard, and I just saw tons of theater, and I just kept busy and kept working on it and auditioning for things. And then, you know, I just, and I'd go to Williamstown, or I'd do apprenticeships at Stage West in Springfield, Mass, and people, and like this one said, guy, director said, do you want to do The Foreigner? And uh, he goes, I'm going to lose my leading actress after about three weeks. Do you want to step in for her to do the rest of the run? And I go, well, I already told Williamstown that I'd come and be, you know, act one. And he goes, when are you going to be one, Perry? And I'm like, I I guess I just keep putting this off, you know. And so I, and so I, I after Williamstown, I, um, you know, was in New York. And I, I went to see a Shana Madel and, I, and, and, and Melissa Gilbert was great. And I went, okay, she's off Broadway Madonna's on Broadway and Speed the Plow. I have to go to L.A. and either make an album or get on a series. I'm never <laughs> going to get on one of these stages. So I came out for pilot season, and there was immediately a writer's strike. <laughs> so back to Williamstown. So I just kept, you know, going back and forth until, you know, until the first, I, I um, you know, went to Network for Wings. And that was my first big experience where I went all the way. And we did, we shot the screen test on the cheer set with Jimmy telling me to... Jim Burroughs, yeah, yeah. the director, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, I, I was like, I had the rag wiping the bar down like Sam Malone, you know, and I was like, where am I? I was out of body, you know? <laughs> and Jimmy kept saying, you know, do this, do this, and I think I was just like, I, I just couldn't focus. I was so... And then there was this line I was supposed to say, which was, oh, have you, what are you... What are you what kind of shampoo is that? Has it got peaches in it? And Jimmy was like, it's peaches. It's not shit. Just say it nicely, <laughs> you know? But I couldn't change it anyway. So he had this great, uh, he had an assistant named Russell who was in this book club with me. So when I when I was going in for, I, I produced a play with some friends called The Moderati that Ron Link directed at the Tiffany. Okay. And Jeff Greenberg came and he said, he, wait, wait, he said, hello, 
I'm going to bring you in for Jeff something Greenberg next week. Jeff Greenberg is a casting The director. casting director. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, you didn't you didn't no. think you'd get a word in edgewise, did you? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm just like providing, you know, the <laughs> pop-up videos, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just like a stream of consciousness. That's fine. But That's he, what I'm here for. Well, so he, he, so he was bringing me in for Flesh and Blood, which was that first... Uh, you know, thing out triangle thing with the, right. the Charles brothers, Jimmy, oh, Fran, O'Connor, remember? Like, uh, yeah, like uh, David Keith yes. was was in that or something. Lisa Dar. Yeah. And they played brother and sister who were separated at birth, and she was like a... I just remember a, that being a, a nightmare. That that's what we, that we would hear is that that was just like a whole nightmare experience over there. Well, they were great writers, David Goodman and Larry Gay and Michael D. Gaetano and a lo lot of writers that were over there it wasn't, it wasn't, I think it was okay. I think, and I love David Keith because he did save me. He did something amazing and we have a great, we have a relationship, okay. but I think he was sort of doing uh, movie star stuff on a TV show. Uh -huh. And there were too many successful TV shows around us at Paramount that were rocking and rolling without that. It, there was enough of it, but not that. Right. He had right. women in his you know, he was he was he was doing like <laughs> stuff you can't do at, on a TV show. <laughs> Webster didn't do that, right? Yeah, Webster right, never right. had women, right? Right. Well, I mean, but not in the dressing room. Right. I mean, you're all like on a soundstage. It's not like uh, your trailer. You know, right. you're all sharing the space. Like, I know things got because I've heard the stories from them. I know things got nuts at Cheers, but there was a it was a it was a funny quirky nuts. It wasn't right. like. They, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like sort of questionable criminal. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no Cheers Babylon <laughs> story. <laughs> I don't. I, no, there there really isn't. Is there? No, there really isn't. No, we would hear great yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. No, but like stuff from Gabby, you know, our script supervisor, who was sort of like the mom. Who so her her complaints about. Not complaints, but her eye-rolling stories were like, oh, he, and he got food everywhere, all over the sofa while he was eating, you know. <laughs> he was so tired, because I know he was out late the night before. You know, like, the, <laughs> those were the stories. Yeah. And that is part one, part two next week. And again, next week is a little more open-ended. It's kind of fun. Please come back. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, and of course to Perry Gilpin for being my guest. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, Levine at Outlook.com is my email address. Levine at Outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. So we'll see you next week for part two. Bye-bye.